It seems like with chronic illness in marriage, you either note the extremes of horror stories or on the other end of the spectrum, some very beautiful stories. I've heard of a wife getting a bad form of cancer, the husband deciding he just didn't want to deal with that and bailing out on her. And then there's a much-loved couple in our own church, and she developed Alzheimer's fairly young. And his response has been to double down on his faithfulness and care for her, saying, I guess it's my turn to pull the wagon now. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have a beautiful episode for you this week. Last week was a little bit more serious, grim, but this one's a little bit more... I mean, it's dealing with a a hard problem too, but it's more positive, I think, or it could be more positive. This is episode 195, and today we're going to be talking about how to handle chronic health problems in marriage. Hey there, before we dive in, if you missed last week's episode, as Verlinda mentioned, we discussed the hidden costs of marriage problems. If you're not sure you really need to deal with your marriage problems or not. I would suggest going back and mm-hmm. checking that out. It's kind of a breakthrough denial sort of episode. And again, make sure you do hit that subscribe button in your podcast player so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. If you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound, research-based advice, and most of all, we offer hope. Huh. Ready to do this? Yeah, that's very... Poppy. Poppy. Instead of focusing on individual things each spouse can do, Verlinda, mm-hmm. we're going to talk at the start here about joint coping. Okay. Both spouses taking responsibility for coping with the illness of one spouse and sharing stressors, sharing resources. So this is from a study in 2007. What you need to know is that the way you interact and respond to each other's coping strategies is just as important as the strategies themselves. So this is kind of taking a step mm. back and looking at the bigger picture here. So the non-ill spouse needs to be able to see what kind of support the ill spouse, which we'll probably refer to as the patient spouse. Okay. As in medical patient, the patient spouse. Need to be able to see what kind of support the patient spouse is in need of at any given time. Do they need practical support, problem solving, emotional reassurance? Like mm-hmm. what is the need? Okay. Now, when couples cope with things like this, there are two main factors at play. First, the patient and spouse's appraisal or their understanding of the illness. And then the coping strategies that they use to deal with it. Now, the appraisal of the illness is important. That's how the patient and the healthy spouse each view the illness. The way that they view the illness will affect how well they support each other through it. Okay. So there are three specific issues in this appraisal topic that we want to bring your attention to. The first is the understanding of the illness. Do both spouses fully understand the nature the possible duration, and the consequences of the illness. Now, kind of depending where you're at in your medical journey, you may not have all that information yet, or you may know. Or there may still be a lot of uncertainty, right? Like when a doctor gives you 12 to 36 months to live. There's uncertainty about the duration. Oh, I see. Gotcha. In that case, right? If the understanding of the illness differs between the spouses, like one expects to be gone soon and the other expects to be around for a while and do a bunch of things, as an example, 
Mm-hmm. There's going to be different expectations created from that and different expectations about how much support is needed. So if the healthy spouse thinks the illness is not a very big deal, then they'll naturally put less effort into helping the patient spouse cope with it. Okay, so I was thinking like chronic health problems, like this is something that somebody's going to live with for years and years and years, but you're talking as in like someone's only got a few years to live. Well, it could be terminal or chronic. Okay. Terminal or chronic. Either way, I think a lot of this will apply. Mm -hmm. But what we're highlighting here is, is kind of an education piece is just being sure that both parties understand the scope and the prognosis of the illness. Okay. Right. Because that's going to affect how you approach it. Right. Differently. Like if you don't know what's going on in their life medically. Yeah. There might be assumptions that are different, expectations that are different. Okay. Now, the next part of this appraisal thing is ownership. Is the illness viewed as a joint problem or as the patient spouse's problem, which Mm. the healthy spouse may or not may or may not be required to help in. So if you're not aligned on this, if, if there's a mismatch, that could naturally lead to ineffective coping. It also raises the issue of togetherness, right? Is the illness your problem or is it our problem? Okay. And, you know, the healthy spouse may see it as our problem mm-hmm. and the ill spouse may see it as my problem mm-hmm. or both of them may see it as the patient's problem right. or both as our problem, right? Okay. So, but you know, the ownership has to be sorted through. Mm-hmm. The third part of appraisal is the broader context. How much support do you as the ill, as the patient spouse, how much do you expect from your healthy spouse based on your culture, based on your family of origin? Were you raised to share all burdens between you or to respect your spouse's independence and dignity by being more hands-off? Again, different expectations here could lead to either poor coping or just misunderstandings in coping. Mm Mm-hmm. So these are areas where couples need to try to make sure they're on the same page regarding the nature of the illness. And if you guys haven't been through something like this before, you've probably never talked about these things. Right. Right. Yeah. Because this isn't something you Nobody naturally sits down of. five years into the marriage when everything's going well and talk about, well, let's talk about chronic illness, right? Yeah, that's true. So that's why we want to help educate you today and help you know what things there are to talk about. Now let's talk about coping with chronic health problems. When you look at all the ways a spouse can support their patient spouse... Those things fall into two main categories. Uh, Gain a study from 2007. One is a problem-focused approach, which is providing practical support, such as helping to provide or facilitate treatment, assisting with practical needs or taking care of different needs and responsibilities while the patient spouse is not able to take care of those things. That's the problem-focused approach. The other is the emotion-focused approach, which is providing emotional support to help the patient cope with the stress of the illness. Right. So let's kind of pull these two apart for a moment and look at them. Okay. In the problem-focused side, basically you have these two things, problem and emotion, okay? Each of these two styles of coping can either be helpful or unhelpful, depending on what you do. Helpful problem-focused coping is often referred to as active engagement. Both spouses take an active role in discussions with doctors, researching treatment options, brainstorming ideas, problem-solving. This style of active engagement leads to improved mood a sense of self-efficacy and marital satisfaction for both spouses and reduce symptoms of anxiety and depression for the patient, but only when both spouses were equally engaged. Hmm. Interesting factoid from that study. So I have a question about that though. So does that mean that both of them are doing it or just both of them are engaged with it? Engaged. Yeah. And that doing... doesn't mean that both people have to be researching and brainstorming and problem solving, but as long as they're together on what's being done. Yeah. Is that I right? Would, I would kind of, the word complimenting with an E comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Unhelpful problem solving though could look like taking too much control. No, no, no. You lie in bed. I'll figure everything out. Hmm. 
or this is my sickness, not yours, back off. Okay. Right? Okay. You could force your patient spouse to try a certain form of treatment when they don't want to. So you're you're overriding them because of your own fear of losing your spouse, maybe. Yeah. You could underestimate your patient spouse's own ability to look after themselves and kind of disempower them Hmm. like that. Yeah. So- these strategies, like they often lead to lower marital satisfaction and higher rates of distress for both spouses and can even increase the patient spouse's symptoms and pain levels. Really? Yes. Whoa. So this is really practical thinking about how you guys are managing the problem focused side. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the emotion focused approach or part. I don't want to say approach because I'm, I don't want to imply that you choose one or the other. Right, right, right. We want to find a healthy balance for both. Yeah. Of handling it. Yeah. Good emotion focused coping includes normal marital communication things like listening, showing affection, self disclosure, being emotionally responsive to your spouse. Unhelpful emotional coping includes things like encouraging the patient spouse to avoid facing the reality of the illness or minimizing the seriousness of the illness. Okay. Um, also, some things like buffering, where One spouse hides their true worries and emotions due to fear of causing their spouse further distress. That's also Uh an unhelpful strategy, even though it's a sincere one. Yeah. These can reduce marital satisfaction and increase distress. Now, here's a helpful quote from one of the uh, patient spouses in a study who says, From the very beginning, Nick and I promised we'd get through this together. That requires honesty. I don't hide when I'm not feeling well, and he doesn't hide his frustration. Rather than trying to spare the other, we check in on a daily basis, and that includes checking on both mental and physical health. Hmm. So handling the emotional part well is helpful too. Yeah. Now, once again, we've created a bonus guide here for our much appreciated supporters entitled Looking After Your Chronically Ill Spouse and Yourself. This is a three-page guide. It has some links to very useful resources for spouses supporting someone. And it'll also help you just take a step back and consider the bigger picture of your marriage so that you can keep things in perspective during this challenging time. Just keeps you grounded. You can get this by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. We'll just take a 60 second break here to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we were talking about problem-focused and emotion-focused support strategies. Do you know what I think, Caleb? What? I think that for a marriage and marriage, what's the opposite of marriage distress? Health. Marriage health, that the emotion-focused is almost more important. Like, I think other people can help you with the problem-focused, you know? Like, people can 
drive you to appointments or clean your house for you or whatever. But the emotion part, like if that's not there from your spouse, that would be really, really hard. It would be really hard. Yeah. It would be hard. What do you think though, if, if a person was all emotion and like didn't actually do anything to help pick up some of the slack? Well, that wouldn't be good either. Like it definitely needs the both, but I don't think it needs to be on the spouse to maybe do absolutely everything. No. But it might be working together to get help. Support network. A support network. Even like older kids, mm-hmm. not parentifying them, but just, you know, they can carry a little bit of weight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, I agree. Like if you get all this emotional support and you're still left hanging, yeah. having to do everything or... I agree though that I think the, like you're saying though, the emotional is probably harder to do, but it's more... It's more important for the marriage part, yes. for your marital yeah. Yeah. health. Yeah. Yeah. And so tied to that, I mean, let's talk about levels of spouse involvement. Okay. So we've all probably witnessed other friends or couples going through a health crisis or have been through them. Like I mentioned at the start, there's often some extremes that we can go to in times of crisis. Mm -hmm. And uh, some researchers documented four levels of support that the patient perceives that they receive from their spouse. And just note as we go through these, these are about the patient spouse's perceptions, Mm. not necessarily the actual levels of support. Okay. One, uninvolvement. The patient believes they are coping with the illness alone. That's a very possible perception. Yeah. Two, support. The spouse offers some emotional practical support, but it is still mainly the patient spouse's problem to deal with. Three, collaboration, which is taking joint responsibility, joint problem solving. And I would take it like a joint, a shared emotional connection is maintained. Yeah. That's obviously what we want to aim for. Yeah, but the fourth is you can actually go to the far side of that. Uh, another extreme, over-involvement. The patient spouse feels their spouse is too involved, taking control or being mm. overprotective. Hmm. generally collaboration is seen as the best way to cope. Although some spouses may be happy just receiving support and not needing joint responsibility for the illness. But I think it's a good checkpoint to stop and have that conversation with your spouse to see if you are providing an appropriate level of support. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I should say an appreciated level of support because it's about perception. Yeah, yeah. It's quite easy for this to go a little haywire, right? If the patient spouse perceives that they are receiving no support from their spouse, perceives... Mm-hmm. And the spouse, the healthy spouse thinks that they're providing lots of help. This becomes a case of invisible support where the patient spouse feels ignored or abandoned. The other mm-hmm. spouse feels unappreciated. Mm-hmm. That leads to low levels of coping and to lower marital satisfaction for both. And then you've got the whole attribution thing coming in like oh, we were talking about yes. last week. Spouses therefore cope most effectively when they agree on how and what support is to be provided. Okay. Here's another quote. Keeping us resentment-free requires a three-tiered approach. First, my rheumatologist keeps my physical health in check. Second, my talk therapist provides tools to keep our mental health and our marriage stable. And third, my husband and I work together to implement those tools and keep our relationship strong. See the resourcefulness there and the connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing, though, where like not everything is being put on the spouse, but there's still totally the healthy spouse. like. Right. Not all the responsibility of caring and coping and whatever. Yep. But they're totally together in this, like the collaboration. Yes. 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 Together. Mm-hmm. Together. All right. And then there's caregiver self-care. Using helpful coping strategies, uh, having the same understanding and appraisals, finding the right balance of problem and emotion-focused support. This can reduce distress, pain, depression, and even mortality rates for the patient spouse. Wow. Study Matire et al. 2004. 
These strategies also increase marital satisfaction and reduce distress for both the patient and their healthy spouse. However, Mm -hmm. some research, not all, some suggest that increasing the amount of care you provide for your spouse can actually increase the distress, depression, and anxiety that you experience as a caregiver. So the healthy or the non-patient spouse needs to find ways to cope with the situation too. Mm-hmm. This is caregiver self-care because this is something that can be pretty easy to overlook. So the question is, how are you coping? Well, here's some ideas for you. One, keep relying on your spouse emotionally. Don't let the illness be a barrier to still confiding in and relying on your spouse. It's really easy to go to, oh, I don't want to weigh her down with that. And you guys right. end up disconnecting in your marriage and you both mm-hmm. end up feeling more alone. Okay. Now, you know, if your spouse's chronic health problems is Alzheimer's. Right. You're not going to get that support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's hard. Right. But if it's possible, remember that emotional support from the patient spouse is a strong protective factor for the healthy spouse or the non-ill spouse. Right. So even though you have health problems, you can still be there emotionally. Maybe you can't be there as physically as much. You can still be a wife to your husband or a yeah. husband to your wife. Yeah. Even though you're the patient. Also, feeling like they can no longer support you and meet your expectations is a major source of distress for the patient spouse. Mm-hmm. So it's a good it's good to give your patient spouse the opportunity to return some care to you as well. In a, like yeah. an emotional support of what? Yeah, like role. you're actually giving them something meaningful to do mm-hmm. when they may actually be debilitated from other things that they normally used to do. Mm-hmm. And then there's outside social support, support from friends that acts as a stress reducing buffer during especially difficult times. Individuals with stronger support networks were much more able to cope in the research studies. That's what they found. With outside social support networks? With outside support networks, they were much more able to cope with the illness. Here's another quote. So is this for the caregiver spouse? Yes. Okay. Dealing with chronic illness is a long road, but so is our life together. When we looked into each other's eyes and said our vows, even after I flubbed the words, we promised to do this thing forever. In all likelihood, Nick will face his own health struggles someday, and he knows I'll be there when he does. Hmm. Okay, overall, we hope this has been an encouraging episode for you. A chronic illness can be certainly be a major factor in your life, in mm-hmm. your story, but it doesn't necessarily have to lead to an unhappy marriage. It could be a time when your marriage becomes sweeter. Hmm. Yeah, true enough. Let's wrap this up. So thank you to those of you who became patrons this past week or thereabouts. There's Sarah and Louise and Douglas. So thank you to our new patrons and our old patrons, even though they may not be old. Former. Former. Previous. Uh, trust, uh, current. Yeah. Ongoing. <laughs> youthful. Thank you for your support. Next week. None of you look a day or older than 32. <laughs> What if we have some like 20 year old supporters? Now they're going to be insulted because you called them old. No, it's still true. They don't look a day older than 30. <laughs> Next week, we're talking about how to get your husband into marriage counseling. Or your wife into marriage counseling. Because if you're married to a husband like my wife is, you've probably been wondering. <laughs> you probably need marriage counseling. <laughs> yes. That is all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oif.link slash 195. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. 
Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for smart people from only you forever. 